This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to The Morning Run and it's time now for the SM Show. It's 9.35 right now. This is, of course, the show about what's working in markets and what's not. Just um, to put it out there, SM stands for Stocks and Markets. Stocks right? and Markets. Just the whip case, has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. 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 yeah Just in right. case you think it's something else. Every time you think about uh, Stocks and Markets, you think about whips. Sure, Absolutely. sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Melissa Idris, Julian Ng and Ibrahim Sani here with you. This week, we're looking into the annual report of EPF. Now, um, the latest published annual report from EPF is from 2014. 2015 is done, but they need some time to publish that. So that'll be out later in the year. I guess um, uh, Dato Cheryl would have made a lot of comments about what happened in 2015 and uh, we shall cover that as we uh, go on through this discussion. Okay, so why is it important that we look at EPF's annual report? What will it tell us? Now, you know, EPF, uh, I'm sure many of you would know. If you don't know, then I think it's a real travesty, right? That EPF would be one of your biggest investments apart from your property. Uh, because the equivalent of 20% of your salary goes into EPF, 10 odd percent from yourself and ten another 12% from your employer. I think this year you have the option of cutting that down. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's not an option. you got to opt, opt out, out of cutting it to <laughs> 8%. I, I think a lot of us at BFM, BFM has uh, opted out of that. So one of the biggest investments, so you really have to know what EPF is investing into, how it is managed, whether they are answering the question of whether they are serving your interests. Okay, so what we can do is after we check out their annual report, we decode it, we debunk it, we take a closer look at it, and then we rate them what kind of investor we think they are. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, of, of course, for the numerically challenged individuals out there, uh, <laughs> you don't have to read the whole, you know, thousands of pages. Out. You, the first few pages alone can tell you a lot about uh, the, the report uh, and it's pictorially presented. So, it's easy for you to read. It's good for us who want, who want lots of colours and pictures <laughs> in our annual reports. That's right. Okay, well, um, at a f- at for me, at first glance, let's take a look at the background of EPF. We're talking about uh, 14.1 million members at the moment, uh, 6.7 uh, actively con- contributing. We've got 530,000 employers contributing to the EPF. That's the size, the scope of the membership of EPF. So that's a lot of us. I, I think the active members of about 6.7 million people uh, is reflective of the labour market in Malaysia. The rest are with civil servants who, of course, bank with, uh, not bank, but invest with Co-op, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have LTAT investing for the for, for the armed forces that's and so right. on. So 6.7 million people, uh, a pretty good represent, representation of the labour market in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's worth noting that this is 2014 annual report. Numbers, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, hang on. So <laughs> 6.7 million active members, then they've got uh, 14 million overall. So the difference between that, uh, about 8 million or so then... I think the, those are some of the people who have retired but are still contributing off and on. Uh, there's some self-employed people who uh, can contribute directly uh-huh. to EPF as well but may not do it on a regular basis. Okay. My personal experience with EPF is um, I really, I mean, I, I haven't withdrawn. I'm not old enough to withdraw money for well, EPF. You can for property. For property, yes, yeah. but you know, um, I haven't. But when I do go to EPF, my experience has been good. I mean, for Me credit, what credit's due? Because th- it, they've been efficient, they've been friendly, they tell you 
um, immediately upfront what you need to do, and they walk you through the process. So in fact, for customer me, customer service-wise, great. Yeah, for me, it's not only good; it's impressive. Actually, it's, oh. it's really impressive because, uh, especially when you're dealing with certain withdrawals, you can get very good advice, and uh, you you can actually get someone who will speak in your language and. Uh, if my language happens to be English and they are very conversant in English and it's really very easy to deal with them. And, and so if you look at the annual report, uh, it reflects their friendly PR because one of their focuses is customers. That's right. So because of the fact that they're focused on customers, uh, their annual report uh, shows that uh, it's, it's not just that uh, they are static, they, are, they show continuous improvement, uh, they have a very high level of integrity. I think that is very lacking in many of these three, uh, these three elements, <laughs> not just integrity, continuous well, improvement, well, they, customer focus. They want to focus on that. Uh, I, I'm sure that in, pra in practice they have high levels of integrity as well, but that, that is a kind of mission statement and that they want to achieve. And it's reflected in, in, actu uh, in reality, reality yeah, when yeah. you go into an EPF branch. Okay, so 14, 14 million members, let's take a look at what their fund size is. Uh, how, how much money are we talking about? So we're like taking a look at about 637 billion ringgit uh, in 2014. This is the asset under management. Um, this number, we saw an increase of about 7 to 8% uh, last year to about 680 to 690 billion ringgit worth of AUM. Now, it's worth noting that every year there's 57 billion bucks going into EPF, but uh, 34 billion, 33, 34 billion being taken out, being withdrawn of, of EPF. So you have a net injection into EPF of around 23 billion for 2014, and that average is about 2 billion ringgit a that's, month. That's a lot, right? That's, that's huge. That, for me, that feels massive. I mean, they get more, clearly, they get more money coming in, they're more money going out. Um, but I don't know, what, what do you think there have been accusations that wherever they invest um, this huge amount of money, they have a lot of sway, they have a lot of pull, especially in the local market? Uh, and, and of course, those local markets, they're very targeted in some sectors. For instance, in the financial sector, uh, they hold the rig of, uh, of managing um, uh, RHB as well as MBSB, the pseudo bank. And because <laughs> of this, bank. Uh, they're not going to be happy with that statement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and this is just an example of how impressive uh, that our, our, our government is. Uh, in terms of managing business, they are very much in business. Okay, I, actually, I, I like to take up your point on that pseudo bank because I, I think that uh, the definition of bank is just uh, an entity that takes deposits and give out loans, right? And MBSB actually fulfills that. Okay. So I also want to take up a point that you said. Okay, so you used EPF interchangeably with the government. Do you think we can make that distinction? I, is there I a distinction to be made? I think not, uh, but on, only because the ownership of the money are, the are with the members, not with the government. But the government holds a lot of sway on it uh, in terms of uh, super supervisory role for EPF. And so a lot of things that the government say, they may be influenced the EPF into doing certain things. But you know, going back into that 2 billion ringgit a month that is injected on average into EPF, um, that's a very substantial proportion of this, our stock and bond market mm. volumes. Um, and it's not surprising that sometimes EPF is being accused of rigging the market. I don't think so. I think it's very challenging to manage an incoming funds of two, not only 2 billion bucks, but also uh, the rest of your portfolio amounting to almost 700 billion bucks. 
um, it's, it's a huge challenge uh, to do that. And so when EPF goes into the market to buy and sell, sometimes buying and selling the same stock in a short within a short span of time, uh, people can't help but think that they are kind of playing those stocks or supporting certain so, stocks. So what what is it then? I mean, is it the fact that they have to invest a certain amount of their asset allocation into the local market and that's why, you know, they have so much money and they need to invest it somewhere and part of their mandate is you have to invest in the local market so they have to look. Well, uh, they don't have, uh, I guess they don't have a mandate per se, but they are very much uh, uh, home-centric, Malaysian-centric in their asset allocation. Which oh, we, we talked we, about we, that last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. and we will, we will cover it today. Yeah. Actually. But not as, as home-centric as other organisations. For instance, uh, uh, the Coop guys, uh, they invest 90% in the domestic market, but EPF, last time I checked, it was 75%. That means a quarter of the 600-plus AUM, they still invest overseas. Okay, well, let's take a look at um, the, the management cost for EPF. So at the moment, uh, cost per average asset under management is 26 cents. If I were to give, be more accurate, 0 0.268 cents, cents. <laughs> for, every, for hundred. every 100 ringgit right. of assets managed. And that is really cheap. That, that's extremely cheap and uh, they also break down into investment related costs so you, you got total costs and then you also have investment related costs uh, I think the investment cost would be a subset of the 26.8 the investment cost itself is 9.1 cent per every 100 ringgit um, if you add the two together uh, you're talking about almost a point 0.36%. If you don't add the two together, if you assume that investment costs are part of the cost per average managed uh, asset, then uh, it's 0.27% just to manage your, your funds, your EPF funds. I mean, that is amazing. That so is why, too cheap. Why is it so cheap? I mean, okay, okay, should we, should we, okay, this is where my consumer uh, paranoia comes in. If something is so cheap, I'll be like, mm, it's really not that good. <laughs> but I don't know. But I, I would rather not pay a huge fee for, for man cost management costs, right? Because that's the price that you'd pay uh, for unit trust. You pay a huge amount. W would you say that? Exactly. I mean, you have to be, um, you know, investment is not like um, premium goods. Like It's not like the LV bag that you're going to buy. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure because that if you, your you management cost is not more, you, you get better? In investments are basically a commoditized business. You, there, there is no, I think in my opinion, as, especially if you're um, investing as a layperson, there, there is no premium product for investment. I think it's a fast that marketing companies market oh, investments no. as such I've right been, I've so been had. the lower your cost for investments the better because uh, the cost will reduce your long-term returns I mean if you think about mark long-term market returns of let's say eight percent per annum or seven percent per annum um, the commercial unit trust will take one and a half to two percent mm. out of that returns and I think that's a travesty whereas EPF charges you all of uh, 27 basis points remember we came across this news that they are outsourcing some of of their uh, investment portfolio oh, to yeah. external funders. Uh, now, the question is, at that moment in time, will that actually increase the investment cost per average AUM? Uh, right now, we know the number to be uh, 0.09 cent for every 100 ringgit uh, of asset managed, uh, but because they do it mostly internally by their own portfolio fund managers. The question also remains, 
if they do continue this outsourcing process, will that investment cost go up? Yeah, I, I think that's one thing. Uh, will will it go up? And and the bigger question for me is why outsource, right? Uh, because if EPF, uh, to answer your question, Melissa, the reason why it's cheap is because EPF is big. Think of it as some kind of a bulk discount. Mm-hmm. Think of it as economies of scale. And you look at some of the accounts, EPF uh, spends a billion ringgit uh, a billion ringgit on staff allowance alone. Uh, now, this billion ringgit spends on staff, staff salaries and staff allowances spread around almost 700 billion ringgit of right. funds. So, it's cheap for them to actually manage uh, such big amounts. And going by uh, the performance that have been analysed by statistics, the fund managers, external fund managers, don't do that well. So, why even have a policy to outsource for them Adding on top of the fact that uh, they are very expensive. ETFs are managed based on the principle of indexing. That means you go into uh, a representative investment, uh, for example, investing into the world economy or the regional economy. But from an asset allocation, uh, this is the beef to pick with EPF, right? Uh, they are not very, I guess, uh, and this is a very controversial argument from yours truly me, that <laughs> you know the, the EPF is not a very representative of uh, uh, of a global or regional investment because well, because they're very home centric. We talked about the home home bias a little bit earlier, but I mean, do you do you think that there's a reason for the home bias given that they are EPF and they are, you know, m- collectively Malaysian money? I, I think moral suasion <laughs> comes to mind. Uh, you know, the best way so? the best way for investors in, uh, to actually invest in that money is to let them do their job. And I'm pretty sure if I can speculate which I always do anyway, uh, is that EPF <laughs> likes to invest in where the money is. Sure. But because of the moral suasion that was imposed on them and many other MOF agencies last year, they were forced to invest locally. It's not because out of will, okay, but because out of one. Well, the, the, moral, the moral suasion was uh, a pretty recent phenomenon, but EPF has been around for a long time. And uh, the, the stickiness of sticky, uh, investing in Malaysia has been around for actually a long time. And in fact, they have been trying very hard to have a lot more foreign investments in their, uh, in their portfolio. At the moment, foreign investments are a quarter of the overall portfolio. It used to be just uh, 13% and almost 90% of EPF investments were focused in Malaysia. And I think this is dangerous. Um, just an immediate reason uh, to say why it's dangerous is look at the ringgit, right? Uh, the ringgit used to trade. Now, th- I'm talking very, very long term here, which uh, you know a lot of listeners of SNM may not be used to. I'm talking about <laughs> decades here, right? Um, it, the ringgit used to trade at 250 uh, to the US dollar, and then it went to three something, 380, and, and then it briefly went back down to three, and now is at four. And uh, we, w- we had a scare last year when it went to about 4.5. Mm. Um, and there is an element of, I guess, in, in, uh, important inflation here. We buy our cars, foreign cars. You know, even the Proton has a lot of foreign components in them. Our food is, uh, a lot of them are imported. Our education is imported. Uh, so um, having a Malaysian focus is really disadvantageous. And on top of that, you are making the assumption that Malaysia is best and there is nowhere else uh, that would give you the kind of innovation that you need to grow your investments. I, I think that is uh, that, that is simply not true. I mean, I'm sure that there are other sov- uh, sovereign wealth funds out there or pension funds out there in other countries that have that home bias too. I mean, I don't know, but Norway, perhaps they do have a certain um, you know, allocation for 
their home country bias that they need to invest in the country. But I don't know whether it's as high as EPF. Actually, it's not true for Norway because Norway has totally globalized investments. Um, a quick way to reflect that is uh, to say, and, and this is true, they own uh, between one and two percent of almost every organization in the world on average. Yeah. Mm. So they are they are actually pretty globally well diversified. Um, but home country bias is something that you're right is not just. Um, what we do. A lot of people, people do, do that. that in too. Australia, yeah. there is a very strong home country bias, uh, but it, it is just something that is quite detrimental to the long-term investment of Malaysia. There's also this important notion of uh, hedging against or arbitraging against uh, FX gains and losses because if you know that your currency is uh, in trading at, for instance, 3.3, you can actually go out and buy assets overseas at, at a very cheap rate and you can hold on to those assets and actually let go of those assets when, you know, when uh, the FX rate is actually falling. 4.5. We saw in action uh, this kind of philosophy by uh, Coop when they actually sold uh, the two assets in London, and because of the FX gain, they quickly uh, earned uh, you know over 40 to 50 percent of uh, int- uh, uh, earnings or profit from that uh, investment. So that kind of uh, uh, element is missing if you uh, invest domestically. Yeah, that, that's a very tactical way of investing, uh, but you really have to look at it from the overall asset allocation. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, 75, 25 is the domestic foreign ratio, uh, what you do with a 25% will have very little impact uh, in terms of pushing the returns needle uh, mm. for the overall EPF. What I, about I asset class? I mean, uh, is that kind of equally well sp- uh, spread out between you know equities and fixed income and property? There, there is a lot of fixed income, uh, and naturally so, because EPF... Uh, I, I guess they have to um, invest for everybody in Malaysia, regardless of what the, the risk preference is. Uh, you know, th- and that to me is another problem of the EPF investment is the assumption of uniformity. But uh, at the end of the day, something is better than nothing. And, and it's really hard uh, to invest for everybody. Uh, what you can do is to have the kind of 401k policy in the United States where people uh, can decide on which fund they want to buy into. But as we, ha- as we have seen, buying into funds is really expensive compared to it being managed by a big pension fund institution like the EPF. Yeah, one thing that we see, we're see, we seeing a clear trend is that they are investing more in equities and less into fix, fixed income, even though uh, we have to also acknowledge that the pie is growing bigger at the same time. So 51% invested in fixed income this year, uh, compared against 60% uh, that was invested in fixed income in you know just four or five years ago. So because of the rising uh, element of their investment or exposure in equity, does it also mean that they have to actually engage external managers as well. Okay, so going back to earlier, we talked about, you know, uh, EPF or government involvement in the, the equity market, in the stock market. What happens if EPF reduce that? I mean, is there fear that the stock market will will fall? Reduce will, what? Will reduce their alloca- asset allocation in equities, in the local equity market? Um, I... I think if you have a globalized investments, uh, that would really take care of the kind of innovation, uh, spread out, you know, diversification, diversify your exposure to stocks globally. Um, I think it is wrong to have a default assumption that Malaysia is best for everything. And the Malaysian market is, uh, I think, concentrated in only a very few sectors like banking, property, palm oil, oil and gas. Where do you get uh, meaningful consumer exposure? Where do you uh. get meaningful tech exposure? Where do you get meaningful exposure 
exposure into business process outsourcing? Where do you get meaningful as exposure <laughs> into the sale of mobile phones, right? You, you need this to... It could go on. It could go on. It's a long list. And if you look at returns over the last, uh, I, I think from a 10-year view, and these are all uh, adjusted for currency, right, to, to US dollar. Um, uh, over the last 10 years, 4.5% for North America and Malaysia, 4.7%. But in the last three to five years, the Malaysian market has done very poorly per annum, 8.5% per annum for the last three years, negative 8.5%, that is, and negative 3.75% for the last five years. If you compare that to North America, um, that's 10% per annum and 8.5% per annum respectively for three and five years. So you can see the risk of having uh, certain kind of home buyers in certain time periods. Well, you know, okay, let's put our, take off our investor hat for, for a little while and put on our um, member, EPF member hat, right? Uh, EPF came out not too long ago to say that lots of people, almost 80% of workers will not have enough savings in their account to live above the poverty line. We're talking 6.7 million members currently contributing with 685 billion assets under management. That's about 105,000 uh, for average balance. That's right. Uh, but this doesn't really tell us much because people are at, are at different uh, stages, stages okay. of, uh, of uh, planning for their retirement. Uh, but uh, uh, Dr. Cheryl did actually come up in uh, May, uh, March last year saying that uh, nearly 80% of the workers who will retire at 55 will not have enough savings in their account. Uh, well, one thing is for certain, they are reducing their domestic and foreign uh, spread. Uh, 13% they do invested uh, in foreign properties, sorry, foreign assets before this. Uh, now it's going to be 25%. Hopefully the trend will continue. Okay, in a nutshell, what is your report card for EPF? Jules? I, I think very good uh, from a cost viewpoint. And for me, something is better than nothing. But they have to look into uh, getting exposure into global innovation. Yeah, are you happy with the way they're well, investing I, your money? I, I, would, I would give them a C because uh, we, don't, oh. we don't have yeah we don't have the uh, the, the EPF CEO just yet for our grill. The moment he comes, oh. we can have a better color. I see. Okay, there we go. It's now coming up to the ten o'clock news. You've been listening to the SNM show with me, Melissa Idris, also Ibrahim Sunny, and Julian Ng. BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.